to along the way mm-hmm. in Nicaragua, each had, uh, you know, came from a slightly different background and seemed to have different motivation for farming the way they did. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the new and improved Velodrome Coffee Podcast. We know it's been a little while since we posted one, but we've uh, got some new material, we've got some new guests, and we are going to get better at recording this so it's easier to listen to. So, uh, I'm Bryce Sturmer, and we're going to go ahead and jump right in here. We've got my friend Craig. Um, We just got back from a trip to Nicaragua, and so what you're about to hear is our conversation about that. So, here we go. Uh, Craig and I just got back from Nicaragua. Uh, we went down there with Gold Mountain Coffee Growers, and we got to see some of the producer farms that Ben works with down there, and so yeah, we thought we'd share a little bit about our trip. Um, so go ahead, Craig, and introduce yourself. What do you do? Hey, it's Craig, founder of uh, Sip Coffee and esteemed colleague of Bryce. <laughs> Sounds good. And what is SIP about? What do you do with SIP? Uh, SIP coffee is all about recognizing the people in your life that matter. In this case, uh, with with fresh roasted specialty coffee that's carefully roasted and then beautifully packaged and personalized just for you. Yeah, awesome. And Craig's stuff is awesome. And where can they find your website? SIPcoffee.com. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. And that's sip spelled with a Y for savor your planet. Yes. And so I've known Craig, how long have we, we've only known each other for like a year and a half now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, been doing coffee stuff, doing other stuff, and decided Craig needed to go to Origin to see his first coffee farm um, to kind of connect all the way, his whole process of, of the sourcing piece, the roasting piece, and the gifting and all that, but to have the, the personal aspect, is that, would you say that's like the most per- important per- part to you about sourcing Yeah, coffee? I really wanted to, as not having the background that you do, Bryce, really wanted to continue uh, learning about every aspect um, of this amazing um, commodity, and that includes all the way back at source on how this, how, how, how coffee affects people all along the supply chain, and feel as though this this trip is just the first of many to better understand mm-hmm. the impact that we are all making, not just uh, for me on the end recipient as mm-hmm. a gift, but how buying specialty coffee impacts people at the source. So for sure. um, seeing that firsthand is something I felt I needed to do, but I was also excited about simply going with you <laughs> um, and uh, sort of being able to... Um, gain a perspective off of somebody who's a relative expert in the field and Thanks. that was a huge <laughs> part of of the trip for me sweet uh, yeah it was fun and like i think going this is my third time to origin and i feel like every time i go now i'm like oh i know exactly what to expect and i know exactly what to do and i know exactly what's going to happen but again just totally surprised by everything and got to see coffee in a stage i'd never seen it in before so when i was in guatemala they were picking first pickings of the year so you still had some unripe cherries and you said nice ripe cherries and they're just getting going with milling and everything when i was in honduras it's kind of the late stage of the picking they're doing a lot of tasting um preparing a lot of things for export and then this year uh or this trip i should say in um uh, nicaragua 
they were pretty much done picking and the coffee itself was basically in flowering state, which is really cool to see all those coffee blossoms on the branch. Some of it was a little further along, um, but uh, again, also preparing for export. And so that was cool to see all the stuff that goes into that and um, kind of how each country is so different in export and how they handle logistics and infrastructure with economics and all that is fascinating. So seeing how they completely do coffee, totally different Nicaragua versus Honduras versus Guatemala is incredible. Yeah. So I, I've heard a lot though about like Costa Rica and like how advanced they are. So now I kind of sort of want to go there just to see like where everyone, because everyone in Guatemala and Nicaragua and Honduras is like well, Costa Rica's infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. So now I want to see what that's like. Yeah. I love the idea of learning operationally mm-hmm. how the processing of coffee differs by country. Yeah. Um, and that, that reinforced with this trip, how, how in, in your perspective, um, other visits, how, how that will differ as we sort of continue origin trips. What, what I also look forward to is, uh, something I, I, I learned on this trip is that really the stories behind the people farming are different in every circumstance mm-hmm. and all those people and families that we spoke to along the way mm-hmm. in Nicaragua each had, uh, you know, came from a slightly different background and seemed to have different motivation for farming the way they did and, and, um, even how broad their spectrum was, mm-hmm. each person held a different story. And, and I think that's what I look so forward to, um, in, in coffee period is just, there are so many stories out there on how, how coffee affects and is driven out of life experiences that everyone has. Definitely. And I think another thing we talked to in the car with Ben from Gold Mountain, we talked, we kind of like joked about someone should make a like poster with all the names of That's people right. that are involved in like a single coffee. And we just started thinking about it. It's, in, it's insane. Like you like start all the way at the base level of like the farmer. And like the farmly, the farmer and their family. So that's like, in Don Santos' case, that's 12 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they bring in workers to plant or to prune and fertilize and harvest. So that's maybe 20 people plus their families. Yep. So now we're at like... 50 people already more even and then you've got people that deliver the coffee down the mountain or or yeah. someone who drives ben's truck to go pick up the coffee and their family and then you got ben his fa- like and all all the women that were in that mill sorted yeah. by hand all of their families it's thousands of it's people thousands of people before we even before, get to touch yeah, it before we touch it as roasters yeah. and then roasters we all know that there's roasters that there's there's, um, you know, our wholesale customers and their families and their lives. There's our baristas and our production people, um, packaging people, the yeah. people that design the stickers and print the stickers that are go on our bags. <laughs> it's, it's endless. It might be like tens of thousands. It could be. It could be for me, the gift recipients. Yeah. And how it touches their lives and their families. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's more than just um, a word, but the sense of community that this that that, that coffee brings um and affecting so many people along the chain is just still fascinating to me yeah for sure yeah so when was it we decided we wanted to go to nicaragua we've been talking about it oh you're going to come on along with to the honduras trip but it ended up this space filled up yeah i think i got really inspired when you got back from guatemala and gave that presentation yeah um, that honest Uh um and we're so enthusiastic about everything you had seen and learned on that trip you were showing uh, pictures yeah, yeah. to an audience and I sort of said that 
seems like an experience. And for a guy that was already uh, seasoned in the world of coffee, you seem to come back with so many new um, new perspectives Definitely. that I think it triggered in me, hey, I, I'd like to try that. I'd like to see some of that. I, I know nothing. Um, and that, that, I think, triggered a desire to go, and Sweet. especially with you. Awesome. Yeah, I think it... I've been finding that origin travel is like pretty intoxicating where it's like you, you get challenged and just like all these new concepts and ideas and people every time you go, it's just like mind blowing. So I can't imagine being a roaster now and like not having that piece is so weird to me. Like it's now I just like every roaster I meet, I'm just like, you need to go to origin and you need to go this way. Like there's, there's ways to go where you can see a lot of stuff and like learn processes, but then there's ways to go where you like, I feel like with this trip, we like really like it was quick, but we got really in depth with a lot of people, and we learned like the disparities of this like of the coffee industry too, where there's just bad things happening in the trade as well. Yeah, and I think Ben was awesome, kind of about being upfront about that, and uh, you know, I think it was cool to see all that perspective for sure. Yeah, so. I, I agree. I was excited about going and the idea of of being able to go to Nicaragua and and visit a coffee farm was exciting in its own right, but I think we were in the airport and I said to you, I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> and you know how you go on some trips and you're like, oh, yeah. I can see what types of experiences I'm going to have in, in three days' time. I had no idea what to expect. And <laughs> that's what really made it exciting for me because I couldn't wait to accumulate all those learnings and experiences. Um, and I just envisioned myself when we were getting on the plane, like the, the following week, Looking back on, wow, <laughs> yeah. that was crazy, but I had no idea what to expect, and that was what was most exciting to me. It was a crazy, awesome trip. It, it was, was awesome. Fun. I think uh, one of my favorite things, I, like one of the things I was like really excited about for Craig was one of the things I've experienced when I was in Origin twice now was to go to the farm and immediately like pick a cherry off a tree and just bite into it because it's a flavor like you'll never experience, and that's something that. Helps you helps your brain connect the fact that what we're roasting and what we're buying and everything is a seed of a fruit. And that's our whole trade is a seed that grows in a fruit. And so we can actually taste that fruit. It's just like your brain just makes so many more connections with the fact that it's a fruit and that should taste fruity. And, you know, a lot of its qualities come from the fact that it's growing inside of a fruit. Yeah. So when we got to the first farm and Craig had like, after he got done posing with his first coffee tree <laughs> and I took a picture, I was like, this is so much fun. And Ben and our, our guy, he was over talking to some people or whatever. And so I found, I was like hunting and I was like, finally found a ripe cherry because they had just been picked. Like, what, probably a month ago, maybe, even? Yeah, not even. Yeah, a few weeks. Yeah. And I found this one remaining ripe cherry, and I'm like, oh, they missed it. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to pick this and give it to Craig. So I picked it, and I gave it to Craig. Here, yeah. have this, Craig. And I bite. I'm excited. And Bryce <laughs> gave it to me, so it must be good. <laughs> and I bite into it. <clears throat> and I thought it was a little bit of, you know, I looked at, you bite halfway in and see what, you know, seeds in it, and... I'm looking down at it and thinking it's a little bit of maybe the fruit's flesh moving around. Oh no! Oh no! It's not. It's not the flesh. It's distinct worms moving around in a too ripe coffee fruit, yeah. coffee cherry. Um, and I spit it on the ground immediately. But uh, that was my first.
first. <laughs> my first. His first coffee yeah. carrier was full of worms. Yeah. I, guess uh, I honestly didn't try to do that. I had no idea that it would have been that rotten. I thought, oh, they just missed this one. Yeah. It's perfect. Just like waiting for you here. I think what was even more perfect is uh, when you asked me, hey, do you have any water? You can help. And I said, no, Bryce, does it look like I have any water? You're like 15 minutes in the truck. And he's like, well, you got to have water in your backpack. Yeah. I have no water. No water. <laughs> I just, I just spit it up for the next 15 minutes. Yeah. But I'll just... never forget my first coffee cherry ever. <laughs> Every time I look over, he's like spitting and spit out. That was awesome. Uh, but so yeah, it was the first one we were at, uh, Don Sabino. And also, funny story, my wife, I love her to death. She's the best. But uh, I posted the blog post on our website about all the people we met. And they're all, all of it online is like Don Sabino, Don Isidro, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, why are all their first names Don? <laughs> I'm like, well, it's like Spanish for like Mr. It's what you call them if you have respect for them and that sort of thing. She's like, oh, so all their first names are Mr.? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. No, no, that's just like... For what it's worth, I had no idea Don meant Mr. E. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did it. I did it. Didn't, I oh. so much there, but I remember Ben said that. I'm like, oh, it's Mr. Santos. Okay, yeah. well, what's his last name then? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so then, yeah, then they have like, you're calling them basically Mr. Bryce or Mr. Craig, and then, yeah, they have last names and yeah. stuff too. So, I mean, Bryce, you'd been to Honduras and Guatemala, this is your third trip going in. You know, what what was what what were you most excited to get out of this particular trip and did it happen for you? Sure. Uh I think one of the biggest things for me, like going into it, I I had a lot of expectations. However, I think the thing I was hoping to get out of it and I feel like I did was understanding how Nicaragua differs from Honduras and Guatemala in culture, in coffee growing techniques and in like exporting. Um, I feel like, too, that the farms we went to were a little bit more of a unique example of, like, ultra-specialty coffee. The stuff that Ben does is, like I said time and time again, it's, like, the highest level in Nicaragua. Like, I really don't think you could find any much, any better Nicaraguan coffee yeah. other than what he's exporting. So, I think I, we got a taste of the best, honestly. We got to see kind of everything hop, operating at a really high level. Um, so... We got a little bit of a special treatment in a way. Yeah. However, I still feel like I we really got to understand like the trade and how they do things, um, how Ben does things more specifically. But uh, yeah, it was interesting to see kind of how long things take. There's always a question I have is like, how long does it take from this process to this process? How do you get it from here to there? Um, and like Ben has said, you know, they export through Honduras, so they do a lot of trucking, they do a lot of freighting. Yeah. Other countries, not as much. Um, so that was interesting. The unique challenges I think that Nicaragua faces versus other people, it's hard to say. I feel like they're all sort of common challenges that I've seen already in Guatemala and Honduras, but let me think here. I think a lot of it, and Ben already has accomplished it, but I think a lot of it is just trying to incentivize them to grow better coffee and to pick riper coffee, Yeah, which is kind of always the problem, I'd say, at a base level. Um so I think he comes at it from a really good place, though, where he's just like, you're going to get so much more for picking better coffee than any other farmers. Yeah. Um, so I think he really nails that. I think in Honduras, they're having some sort of a little bit more unique challenges in that because Honduras is still a country that's really known for not great coffee. So it's hard to market it to roasters. Right. I think, Mark, I think Ben has done a great job of marketing yeah, I mean, it to roasters. I think you and I, our first experience with Ben... 
mm-hmm. in person there kind of blew our minds with how meticulous uh, definitely that he was in screening mm-hmm. individual beans by hiring um, what turned out to be 30, 40 mm-hmm. people in a room that we, we were both in disbelief because yeah. they were they were hand screening every bean. Yeah, that uh, was coming off these farms for uh, sure on a long conveyor belt, and that that will stick with me for a long time because not only um, were all these people employed screening individual beans, but there was a process. Not only you know on a conveyor belt they're looking at each one, then they at the end of each belt are exposing all the beans to blue lights, yeah, and black definitely. lights to 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 find defects and really being meticulous mm-hmm. um, in the samples that he was sending and the bags that he was putting together. And I was, that left an impression on me. I think we weren't even in the country for two hours yeah. and we were exposed to that. Yeah. Uh, and that showed me what kind of, um, what kind of quality control that Ben is interested in upholding when he sends beans our way or definitely for sale. I think that was probably the hugest thing for me early on too, is after having two different origins already, Walking in and seeing that, I was just like, I've never seen this before. This is incredible. 40 people sitting here going through things by hand. And then not only that, but the UV thing, like, he, like, brings us into the room. And it's like, wow, this is incredible. There's, like, 40 women here sorting coffee on conveyor belts. And it's awesome. And they're doing little bits at a time. It's not, like, stacked on a conveyor belt. It's, like, I don't know, maybe 10 beans going past you every few seconds. Right. Like, like really spread out on this conveyor belt. Um and then he's like, well, come over here. And we follow him and he takes us behind this like curtain. And then there's the UV light. And he's like, she's pulling them out <laughs> if they have any UV defect. So she's pulling out, I don't know, uh, maybe it's mildew. I didn't ask specifically what was going on with the UV, but anything that was highlighting, she was taking out. Yeah. And then we get out of that room and I'm like, oh, it's awesome. Like how, like how long does it take you to get through a bag or whatever? And he's like, well, we run it through like potentially four times. I couldn't believe that either. I was like, what? <laughs> so you run it through, you take all the stuff out. Then you run it through again, you take out more. And you run it through Incredible. four times. Incredible. Insane. Just an absolute commitment. I love that. Yeah, I love that. I that love was incredible. That. So that was like the craziest thing I had seen, like probably the whole trip, honestly. Just, I couldn't believe that. And I mean, you like I've heard of that sort of hand sorting meticulous thing before in like Ethiopia, countries in Africa, but I don't know. I haven't been there, so I'm not saying this out of complete confidence. But I feel like more of that there is based in necessity, where they yeah. just don't have the they don't have the full like infrastructure of color sorting technology and stuff there, where they can just run it through a machine, yeah. like they do in South and Central America, where they can just run it through a color sorter. There's a machine that can essentially do the same task. That these women are doing um, and Ben explained not to the best degree the machine is a lot less like accurate than these women are so that's why he does it but I don't know uh, I feel like in Ethiopia and other countries in Africa that are doing hand sorting usually do it just because they don't have the color sorter like he had he had full access to the color yeah. sorter yeah, yeah. but instead decided to go this route yeah so that was really cool and it sure. made me I mean I'll ask you this but for me it made you know seeing that at, at origin was a reminder of how meticulous we need to be mm, yeah, and should point. be because Definitely. the product commands it. If that much effort was taken by the people at Origin mm-hmm. to make sure our product was quality, then everything we're doing on our end, you roasting and mm-hmm. us and sort of attention to every detail that we always uphold in each gift, it should match the amount of investment taken by those people Agreed. to give us a great coffee. Definitely. Um, and I, there were so many lessons for me along the way 
that I think I've taken with me even in this first week back um, in, in how I need to treat the brand and what we're doing on our end mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a way that's fair um, and respects mm-hmm. all of those families and people that are impacted on that end. That's and, a really I, point. and I love that. So I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're being such a seasoned roaster and um, knowing so much um, about your craft, what, what things did you take back from what you saw um, yeah. and the conversations you had that you are applying perhaps in doing things a, a different way now that yeah. you're back or not? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I think for me, I feel even more inspired to continue like for Belgium sourcing directly as humanly possible. So it's not the easiest way. It's not easy to go to Nicaragua and get sick and visit a bunch of farms and meet a bunch of people and take time to do that and money to do that. And it's not easy to like not source coffees that are great that you can't trace. Like you might taste an insanely good coffee for a really low price, but not be able to tell where it came from, what farm it came from, or if those people are getting paid fairly. Uh, and to pass up on those coffees is hard. It's difficult because you want those. <laughs> but uh, I think for me, it was just a re-inspiration of like, I, I, it was a confidence builder for Velodrome in the way we're going to source of literally either A, have been to the farm, or B, have full confidence in someone who's been there that is buying the coffee. So that's kind of our sourcing criteria and I'm definitely sticking with it. And I've, I've told that to a lot of people now, a lot of people in the industry and they think it's crazy. Well, usually a lot of like older school people are like, that's, that's dumb. Like there's so much benefit in these co-op coffees. And I get that. I totally understand that. I'm just choosing to not work that way. Um, and there's so much benefit with working with importers. And I see that I can see how importers and the volume that they do and that sort of thing. And I will work with importers in a light degree when it's traceable and when it's totally transparent but again i think what's more beneficial in a like not just a money basis but like in life as a whole is being able to connect with a farmer so even before we were talking today i was telling you like it'd be awesome to someday when velodrome is big enough to just go to a farmer that i've been working with on a light degree and be like cool this has been an awesome relationship we've loved your coffee how much can you produce this year and like oh we can produce hundred thousand pounds this year and be like i want to buy it all like, when do you want to get paid? Right. Do you want to get paid before it ships so that you can pay all your workers and stuff? We'll make that happen. So figuring out then, like, that sort of person, personal, like, sourcing where it's like, we buy one Nicaragua coffee and it comes from Don Santos or whatever. And we buy one Guatemalan and it comes from these people. And just have, like, people around the world that you just call at any point and just be like, hey, how's the harvest going this year? What challenges are you facing personally? Like when you come into America next so we can host you at Velodrome and that would be the best. I think, right. You know, financially it might not be all that much better for the farmer or for me, honestly, but I think in a whole like humanistic perspective, like I think that's the way I want to do the business. Yeah, that makes sense. So what was some of the things that, what was, what was your biggest standout moment, moment of the trip? And what do you think from your first experience that what do you think you want to experience more of in the future? Twofold question. Great question. Um, there were a couple things. I think overall the experience um, sort of gave me learnings in three areas. I think going in, um, I had a rough understanding of the complexities involved in 
how a cup of coffee nets out mm-hmm. and a sort of uh, understanding on why does a coffee taste a certain way um, from our end? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, where was it sourced? What kind of roast? Mm-hmm. What kind of water was used? When did yeah. you grind it? Yeah. What did you use to brew it? Um, there are so many interesting variables to me on our end that I, I had a rough understanding of. But going to origin and seeing the nuances and how coffee plants are, are, are placed and mm-hmm. whether they're put next to a rainforest that we had an opportunity yeah. to see or whether they're grown in shade or they're on a particular farm that uses, um, you know, recycled water. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. You know, there are endless, how it's processed at the dry mill, <clears throat> how it's packaged, how it's screened, mm-hmm. um, how it's sorted by density. Mm-hmm. There are almost... Um, Unlimited amounts of variables Definitely. that go into, <laughs> in the end, how a cup of coffee tastes on our end, or yeah. in my case, for the gift recipient. And, and it was a reminder for me after seeing all those variables yeah. that it's endless, and that's what makes the, the fruit so fascinating to me. So that's number one area. That's like the hardest question I get, by the way, at the shop. When people are like, why does this coffee taste like this? And it's like, <laughs> like I usually ask yeah. them, how long do you have? Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's talk and talk. It goes all day. Um, but it really is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, the second piece is, is that... that that will, I think, continue to be a source of awe as we continue on these trips all around the world, which I'm so excited about, is um, when I first saw what a germinating uh, coffee <laughs> seed looked like. Yeah. And if you remember, because it was, I still can't believe it, but it's true. These, <laughs> these germinating seeds were in this trough that we came across on Ben's farm. Yeah. I think Idealista and... And I almost couldn't believe what I was looking at. <laughs> I know, you because, were just freaking out. It was because they, they were picture coffee beans that looked like they were propped up by a toothpick. <laughs> and there's thousands of them in this trough. That's what a germinating coffee seed looks like. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it is amazing. Yeah. And I was in awe of that. And, and to, to now understand that that really is early stages, first few months of a coffee plant. Yeah. And it literally looks like a coffee bean on a stick. <laughs> That's so... That's so fun yeah. to learn mm-hmm. and understand. And so I look forward to, there were so many more of those moments on this trip of awe-inspiring, but I really enjoy being reminded that this this business that I've sort of jumped into is is so interesting on so many different fronts. Yeah. Um, I think and, you thought we were pulling a trap. I did. I, I kept asking, this can't be real. This can't <laughs> be real. This, these are fake. Uh, I love that moment. Um, and then the third thing for me was it's all a human story. This yeah. is all a human experience. Definitely. And I really enjoyed, I think we saw six or seven, we got to meet six or seven and ultimately families. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my favorite overall piece of the experience. Um, because even though we, we, you know, we had an interpreter and, um, they were, they were not English speaking. We, mm-hmm. We learned and were reminded that we're all people mm-hmm. just trying to make a go at it in this life. And mm-hmm. the story of coffee is a human one. And it was so fun to ask these people questions that lived by the land. Some of them, yeah. um, like Don Sabino, who grew up um, playing in those fields. I guess they were potato fields before mm-hmm. he his family took it over. And, you know... They were part of his life from the very beginning, and mm-hmm. here he is, thirty years later, farm coffee farming, and as well as all these other um, 
crops. Yeah. And there's a certain love for the land um, and understanding what motivates him to toil. Yeah. Um, to make sure his crop for this given year provides for his family. And right. there were so many of those types of stories along the way. The um, Don Manuel and his yeah. his wife inviting us into her home mm-hmm. to tell us um, her dreams. Yeah, and that she wasn't necessarily perhaps living her dreams. She wants she dreamed of being, I think, a nurse. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Definitely. she found herself the wife of a coffee farmer and providing for them. And yeah, they're all we're all living this life mm-hmm. and have such different motivations to do what we do. Yeah. It just brought for me a relevance that even though they're in another world away, mm-hmm. that that not only is coffee bringing us together, mm-hmm. but we're all just the same. Yeah. And I, I loved those human stories. Totally. Um, and there's a lifetime of those left wherever we go in this industry. Totally. Um, to pick up and, and connect with. I completely agree. Yeah, I think going back to what you said about Arelli, and I think that was probably the most humbling and like memorable slash touching moment of the whole trip for me was, you know, we had been going around to all these farms and talking to men of the coffee farms. Three guys were coming in, talking to the men, what kind of plants you got, what's the harvest like this year, how did this start, what do you like in life, blah, blah, blah. And then we went to this other farm and again, to talk to the guy and he wasn't there. And so then Ben was like, well, like, let's talk to the wife, Aureli. I was like, let's talk to her. So we're like, okay. So we start this conversation and a few, a few sentences in, she stops us and like brings us inside her house. And her house is, I would, to be totally honest, like a, a American's perspective, like it pro- is more like what we call like a shed, like cinder blocks and like a tin roof. Like, and that was like one room basically and they had sectioned off with like blankets kind of hanging between to diff- give it different rooms. And very dark. Very dark. Dank. There was electricity, but it only been in there for like a year. And they yeah. had like an outhouse, so no indoor plumbing either. And so we're sitting in there. She pulls up with these chairs, and we're sitting, we're talking to her, and Ben is asking her these questions. And, and I yeah, we got like really deep, like really quickly. And like, well, like, what, what's your life like? And she's telling us she gets up at 2 a.m. to feed all the workers on the farm. And I'm thinking like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. Like the harvest is like three months long. Like that's a really hard three months. And then I realized like, no. They farm potatoes and carrots. Yeah. And it's not just harvest, it's pruning, it's planting, it's all. So most of her time, most of her days, she's getting up at 2 a.m. to feed all these people that are on her farm. And that was insane. And then she's like, yeah, and then it's not so bad because then, like, then at, at noon I get to take a nap and then I get up at 2 to do dinner. And it's like, oh my god. And she takes us to her kitchen on which she yeah. cooks these. And yeah. It's a, it's a wood fired oven that yeah. has to be lit all day long I mean, yeah yeah there's no in, chimney right yeah so the smoke is just kind of lingering in that kitchen area and i think there's a point where we all kind of looked at each other and like i think we we're all kind of tearing up a little bit just of, like hearing her story of like and, and there was a one point where she said like i feel full I, I can't remember the direct translation but the translation he said was like so touching i can't i wish i could remember the exact words but it was like i wasn't content complete complete she's like yeah he's like how do you feel about life and like the direction is gone and that sort of thing and she's like i feel complete and i was like that's amazing that she finds contentment in this hard hard work and like now i i'm tasked with passing that on you know that's how i felt i felt like a personal connection to like knowing her story passing along her story but also 
feeling responsibility. Like I felt more of a weight at that moment of like responsibility to just do coffee better and to like make sure it's ethically sourced and make sure that what her work is doing is, is being, I don't know, compensated and recognized. Agreed. So that was incredible. And then going across the street and having hearing another heavy story. That night, it was... It was a great night. It was great. Great day. So we went across the street and met Juan Carlos and his wife, Araceli, if I'm not mistaken. 25 and 23 years old. Yeah, yeah. And he took his dad's farm over when he died like four years ago. Yeah. So he was 19 and he took over this coffee farming business. And that was another just incredible story. And another, again, like hut that you're in and they invite you in and they, you know, want you to stay in. And the responsibility that couple is shouldering to run a coffee farm at that young age, but having the maturity and discipline and vision Mm -hmm. um, that we then tasted. I think we tasted the following day. Yep. Just first class. Yeah. Really great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think we, you know, had appreciation almost immediately when we started seeing their names, mm-hmm. whether we were cupping, which we did a cupping, very complete cupping there. But yeah. then here we cupped again. And I think we were both remarking to one another, wow, these are more than just names on a bag or a cup. Mm-hmm. These are people that we've met and understand a bit better their surroundings and their experiences. And you, you want to taste them and get excited about, right. oh, it's Juan Carlos's coffee. Yeah. How's this How do you say no to that? Yeah. Now we got to buy this stuff. It was <clears throat> so fun to have you know a desire to support because of their faces as you're tasting, you know, their yields. and Definitely. Um, I love that. They, I think it's the first time that, that names on any bag um, I now will take much greater note of knowing there are people behind that. For sure. Yeah. Toiling and sacrificing to, to produce. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, to me, to some degree, it's like, why wouldn't I put someone's name on a bag now? Like, that's my goal is to always have a name on the yeah, bag. Yeah, same. Absolutely Because it's like, Yeah. We are doing such a small part of it. And that leads into what I was going to say earlier with about like processing and meticulous and like the green side of things. Another kind of concept that is becoming more and more reality for me now is, you know, in the coffee world, we kind of say as roasters, like, and, and baristas, like you have to assume the product that you have in your hands before you do anything with it is perfect. And that is the highest quality. And the only thing you can do is take quality away. I completely agree that you can't add quality to a green coffee you've received. The only thing you can do is roast it in a way to find its nuances, to find its complexity, and to find its like inner beauty. There, you can't add any inner beauty through the roaster. You can't add any inner beauty or, or complexity in brewing. It's literally, you have to assume, boom, you get it. It's a perfect product. The only thing I can do is F it up. Now I have to find it, what's best in it. Same for baristas when they get a roasted bag of coffee. The only thing they can do is screw it up. The, the best they can do is bring out its full potential. So seeing the level of meticulous sourcing and um, sorting and picking and growing and everything that they do with Ben's project in, in, in Nicaragua, it's more inspiring just to focus so intently on every coffee you get. So for Velodrome, that concept is to only have three coffees at a time and to focus on them completely tell their stories wholeheartedly and then move on to the next ones that are fresh. And I think the same kind of goes for sip in a way. It does. I mean, coffee is based on a premise of, of every quarter, uh, a new single origin. Um, we introduce 
you and your recipients too, mm-hmm. um, because one, ensuring variability, but two, it always introducing you to some wonderful copies from around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely want to uphold that. I think with this trip, I had the idea of um, sourcing for a particular quarter mm-hmm. Nicaraguan coffees, which are very different from a Colombian or definitely uh, a Papua New Guinea. But I think that's that's again the that's the intrigue behind the industry is that there's an endless supply of stories, mm-hmm. never mind cups, yeah, um, to discover, and that's what makes I think what we do so fun I mean for you different way of roasting every bean mm-hmm. you get your hands on and, and I think that constant discovery and learning um, ensures that you're 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 never stagnant you're always growing as a, as a human mm-hmm. which I think is what we all should be doing in this life yeah that yeah definitely I think it's easy to get focused on business or like the way I do this thing but it's like everything you do in business and in life is like all tying into like who you are as a person how other people are right so yeah it's like having a model that keeps that in mind so what is something you want to get out of like a next trip I think the next trip I you know I, I don't have like you a basis of comparison on, on how you know farming techniques may differ or um you know, perhaps different focuses on quality mm-hmm. or processing um, are done in other parts of the world mm-hmm. based on tools and resources that may or may not be at their disposal. Yeah. And I think, you know, not only understanding the different climates, mm-hmm. but also um, variability in environments mm-hmm. um, and uh, resources affects taste. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, I need to know and understand, you know, why, why does a coffee vary, um, from place to place? Sure. Um, what are some of the nuances? And I, I think that's, that's imperative to pick up, you know, where I want to go explore beyond Central America at some point. And, yeah. Um, you know, really travel around the world. Yeah. Um, to, to, to understand that. And then over and above those nuances, just continue to accumulate human human stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some amazing, I'm sure, people out there <laughs> yeah. in this particular industry to meet, and I'm really excited about making those connections. Totally. I completely agree. Cool. Um, what yeah. about you? Like, mm-hmm. this will be your fourth and fifth and sixth. What do you, <laughs> do, do you get as excited about the prospect of making those, those, those additional trips and mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you look forward to, to picking up? Yeah, I think way? for me, part of it is now I'm going to have to be deciding whether to do like a new origin or going back to ones I've been to. Because uh-huh. now it's like, like I really want to get back to San Luis Falconcito, which is a farm we've worked at with Honest. Uh, I want to get back there this fall, what I'm hoping. And now for me, it's like, okay, if I go on return journeys now, I want to bring other people with. I want other people's first experiences to be with me and I want them to I want I want to take their hand with that in, in that process because I think there's things you can kind of bring when you've been there or things you can see in them like I want to experience people's first first cherry <laughs> uh, biting into the first cherry and stuff like that again but um yeah let me think so yeah definitely Guatemala's Falls I'm trying to put together actually I was looking at stuff today as a matter of fact thinking about that um 
now it's like I really want to get to some other regions. South yeah. America definitely is on the radar. Maybe Brazil or Colombia, Peru even. Yeah. I know some guys here are doing some stuff in Peru. Uh, the long shot would be Africa at some point. Someday. I know like two guys there that in Burundi and in Ethiopia. So yeah, it's on the radar for sure. That one will be a big one. That's so a big one. that one I'd love to get to like three or four regions in Africa. Yeah. So the ultimate goal would be Burundi, Ethiopia, Kenya, Congo, all in one. Let's like, do it. It'd be like a two-week thing, but it'd be awesome. So as soon as I have time to do that one, that one's on the radar. Because for the time being, it's going to be really hard to source like direct Ethiopians and Africans for Velodrome. Um, However, I've got some connections there, so I can feel confident in buying good coffees from that area. But um, yeah, just want to have that human connection. So that's uh, yeah. What was uh, what do you think was the hardest thing about this trip? Hardest thing. Uh, that's a great question. Hardest thing. Um, there's so much great coffee that we tasted. It's coming back, being a small company. Yeah. Trying to choose. That's a good point. Um, you know, who you could immediately support because there's only so much volume you can pick up. I think that, that was difficult. I think we tasted 24 coffees there Mm -hmm. one day. Yeah. Um, and knowing that in just this small region of the world, there's, just a plethora of great coffee to choose from and knowing that yet you have big visions of grandeur for your company Mm -hmm. but there's only so much coffee you can buy for yourself and directly impact right and so choosing which ones out of the gate and then having a mission to grow and um but also knowing there's great coffees from around the world i think that's really difficult so we were even talking before we started uh this conversation um which coffees yeah. <laughs> you're gonna choose out of the gate right. um, based on their arrival and that, that that's really tough because you want to help everybody you yeah. meet yeah, um, and even some you haven't met we, we both tasted a wonderful coffee um, that we didn't get a chance to meet them in person but mm-hmm. wow it blew our minds yeah. um, on how good this, I've never had a cup like that before um, yeah. so that was really difficult but fun because yeah. you can always go back like you said and, and make sure you spend more time with these people and maybe vary it up for your next elections. Yeah, you get, you learn so much the first time around and the second time you come in, you kind of a little bit more know what you want to get out of the trip. But uh, at the same time, being open to understanding. I think for me too, part of it is like learning culture. So it's not, that was the hard, that was the hardest thing I learned on my first trip was going to Guatemala. I felt like this real burden after being there where it was like, man, I like as this American like came in and just like expected everyone to speak English and expected things to happen this way, but what I totally missed was culture of like, no, like there's no timing in Guatemala. You just things happen when they happen, and yeah, um, I know it felt really. I felt this really strange like conviction almost like after Guatemala to learn Spanish or to try to learn Spanish, like start working on it because I couldn't believe how many times I met people that were like just struggling and like feeling so embarrassed trying to speak English. When I wasn't doing the same, like I wasn't trying to speak Spanish. That's a great point. So I, I was tasked, I tasked myself then, like before I go to Origin again, I wanted to learn Spanish and I, I got a little bit of Spanish before Honduras and I think a little bit more after Honduras going into Nicaragua, but I want to keep working on that because I, I don't want to come in as like this American who like expects to be catered to. Yeah. Um, a great point. Cause that's, that's not the way it should be either. 
So I think that, again, is another hardest thing about this trip for me was just, like, still feeling that way. Yeah. I don't know what it'll take to totally feel like I'm not doing that, but I want to come alongside them and not feel like I'm a big presence or, like, I am, like, important or, or just whatever. there to drop in and drop yeah. out. Yeah. You really want to assimilate and... Exactly. And make sure they understand that you care... Um, yeah, about them, and it's it's you want to you want to you're there to under better understand their plight and exactly. sacrifice and right. effort. Right. I found myself very much wanting to exhibit more of an interest um, than just hey, uh, can I see your farm and mm-hmm. ask you a few questions. I really wanted them to know that we were there because we cared mm-hmm. um, about them and how they did things and how can we support. I think. We both had questions often on, you know, what else can we do to support you? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, well, making sure we buy the coffee, you know, what, what, what things are you looking for in visitors like us from another country? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you make a great point on just continuously working at seamlessly assimilating into a new culture every time we go visit a new country. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, so it was an awesome trip. It was what else, so awesome. what else could be said? What yeah. else could be discussed? I don't know. Uh, do you want to tell anybody what coffees you're thinking about buying? <laughs> thinking about? It might not be totally confirmed. Uh, but. Well, I'm definitely... <clears throat> there will be a... I think um, these coffees arrive this this season or this year's crop mm-hmm. in August, September. So I'm looking at doing a Nicaragua flight. Um, from uh, several several farmers that we met personally and were impacted by in the fourth quarter. So that flight to be determined. But yeah, I think it could be fun to introduce over that last quarter of this year um, to these specific farmers that we have that connection with. Awesome. What about you? Uh, Yeah, um, we're going to be buying a real like banger, real just like off the charts, just insane coffee that's super expensive, but it's totally worth it. And uh, we're also going to be buying an incredible coffee from Don Sabino. I'm really excited about what we're going in on on this super expensive. Craig and I are splitting this one. (laughs) We're splitting it, but it is, I will have to say it's the most wonderful cup of coffee that I think I've ever tasted. It's just delightfully unique. Yeah, there's um, flavors in it that I don't think I've ever tasted in coffee before. And he is, I mean, it's it's a nano lot. It's not even a yeah. micro lot. I think three, three bags, bags total. total. Mm-hmm. Um, we're so excited about this, so we're going in because it's just it's it's almost to me it was mind blowing how unique this cup tasted. Yeah. So I think Bryce and I are really excited about this. I've never tasted coffee like it. Yeah. So keep an eye out for September. And for Bryce to say that. With all of his experience, that's saying something. All of my few years of experience. Yeah. That <laughs> it's was been good. more than a few years. It's been like a few years. <laughs> For real. But it's been good. Um, cool. So, I don't know how to end this other than just, uh, that was an awesome trip. It was an awesome trip, Bryce. To get to so Oregon. enjoyed uh, going with you and experiencing it and uh, debriefing in this. So yeah. Thank you for the, the, the experience. Oh, yeah. And thank you for coming along, yeah. being our chauffeur. Craig was a <laughs> badass driver the whole trip, just tanking up these hills awesome and stuff with driving. his truck. We rented a four-wheel awesome. drive Toyota Hilux, and we needed oh, every bit of it. Oh, amazing, though. These farms were very, very remote to us Americans, so... Yeah. Yeah. Even driving in that country to, to just... Complete wilderness was an adventure. Definitely. It was so fun. Yeah, we've got pictures up. I've got pictures on the website, on our Facebook and Instagram, so check those out. 
soon we'll be posting the video of Craig just tanking it through the stream. <laughs> and I'll, have, uh, I'll, I'll be writing more about my experiences and sharing more images as well. Sweet. Yeah. So thanks again, Craig, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Bryce. For re-inspiring me to do podcasts again. <laughs> Let's do more podcasts. We should. We should pick some more topics and do some stuff because it's, to, uh, it's hard to do them by myself. And then feel the gumption to be like, oh, this was good material, and so I should post it. So thank you all who have been patiently waiting for the next podcast, all like four of you. <laughs> but uh, here's the next one, I guess. All so. right. Cool. Thanks, Bryce. Thank you, Craig. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Velodrome Coffee Podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to be trying to do more of these now. We've kind of got some of this audio stuff figured out and feel like we have a little bit more to talk about these days as well. Um, also, just a quick update for all you guys listening, um, where we're at with it as, as a company right now and that sort of thing. Since we last made a podcast, a lot has changed. Um, first of all, we got the pre-orders all done and sent out. We didn't quite reach our goal. But we did get um, a lot of support, and thank you guys all so much for all of your help. And we're currently in the transition of getting up to, up north, up to Marquette, um, to get things rolling. So we've got some stuff in the works. Can't say a whole lot quite yet, but we're prospecting a space in Marquette and figuring out some creative ways to scale so we can get into that right away. Um, I guess the whole original plan was really just to totally bootstrap it and totally um, start really super small and just do as much as we possibly could on our own, but we've got this really unique opportunity to get in this badass killer space and we're trying to make it happen, so more on that later, but uh, what you can do right now is still go to our website and we have our subscription set up. We've got our little roaster running um, in the garage, basically. So we're filling online orders and we're filling subscriptions. Thank you all who have already bought and who continue to to buy each month with the subscription program. So if you like what you had in your pre-orders, you like what we're doing, um, go ahead and jump online, velodromecoffeecompany.com, and support us that way. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll bring you some more new episodes, some new material in the coming weeks. Thanks again.